And today we're going to be moving on. And Jesus is, it says in the very beginning of, of chapter 13, that same day, so right after he preaches this message about being known by our fruits and condemning and rebuking the people for finding their identity in something that is not worth finding their identity in, seeking the identity of the Messiah and what they can get out of Him rather than what He's really there to accomplish for the will of the Father. We talked about who Jesus was and His, his meekness, His gentleness. We've talked about thumbprint love what it means to love like Jesus, to interact with the world around us like Jesus interacted with it, according to the prophets. And today on that same day, we're going to see Jesus preaching a very important message. It is not so disconnected from what we've been talking about. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read some verses here, starting in verse 1. The scriptures say, That same day Jesus went out of the house, and sat behind, beside the sea. So he wasn't necessarily expecting to be preaching a message, but he was ready. He went out of the house, wherever he was, you know, people, he, is, he was in this house, um, he came out of the house, and he just went to go sit by the ocean. Maybe he's going to pray to his father. He had just done a lot of rebuking and a lot of teaching, and maybe he needed to go rejuvenate. So he goes out, and he sits by the sea. And it says in verse 2 that he didn't really get a break. <laughs> and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. See, so kind of, you know, my, if my wife were in this room, she could probably uh, connect with this. I just want to go outside and take a break and sit on the porch and drink some coffee and maybe read my Bible a little bit. And sure enough, who's going to come out and. Ask her for a drink. Ask her for a, ask her for a sandwich. Will you play with me? <laughs> um, but Jesus, I mean, this kind of happens to Jesus. All these people just follow him. They go and find him and they gather around him. I mean, what are the, it's just kind of funny. You, you know, you, hey, Jesus is sitting over there on the beach. All right, let's all go and just stand by him <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> That's kind of funny if you ask me. Um, but that's what happened. These people just went to where Jesus was and just stood around him, <laughs> waiting for him to do something. Maybe they were expecting him to do a sign, or maybe they were wanting him to teach him something. Nevertheless, I mean, Jesus didn't necessarily disappoint. And the crowds came, they packed in so tightly that Jesus wasn't going to be able to teach them on the beach. He gets a boat, maybe he asks Peter, hey Peter, get that boat ready. We're going to go, we're going to go out a, a, a few yards from the shore and I'm going to be on this boat. It's going to be my pulpit, per se. Jesus preached in a lot of different manners. Sometimes he preached reclined at a table. He preached sitting in a, in, in a synagogue, standing in a synagogue. Here we see him preaching in a boat on the ocean. And people, his congregation, are sitting on sandy pews. Um, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, 
They were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Lord, I just pray that you give us your wisdom as we look into your word, as we discern the teachings of Jesus, as we receive the teachings of Jesus. May, may it be clear to us what we must think and do going forward. May we understand the words of Jesus. May you open our eyes to behold your beautiful truth, and may the, the rain that pours upon us through your word do what it is meant to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is kind of an interesting scene. Jesus has never preached like this before. If you flip through the pages of Matthew up till this point, we don't see him teaching like this. This is the first time he uses what verse 3 calls a parable in his ministry. Sermon on the Mount used some metaphors, but those are different than a parable. In some of his other teachings, he, he uses metaphors in some of his other teachings, but none of those things are really parabolic in the sense of what Jesus is going to be doing throughout Matthew chapter 13. And, he, and it really it comes with its own introduction, saying he told them many things in parables, saying, and then he enters into a parable. Now, this would have been unique for these people, this crowd, perhaps this crowd is filled with some of the people that were at the Sermon on the Mount. They were looking for some sort of teaching, some, some sort of uh, um, profound teaching that they haven't been hearing from the other scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders and the rabbis. I mean, that's one of the reasons a lot of these people followed Jesus around, because he taught, thing, he taught in a way with authority, not like the other people, not like the other leaders. So perhaps some of these people are following him, wanting to hear something else profound. Something else, something, you know, maybe they're waiting for Pharisees to step up and confront him about some of these things he's been teaching like they have in the past. Nevertheless, we see him stand, you know, for instance, if I were to come up and I were to get behind this pulpit and instead of opening the Bible, I open the farmer's almanac <laughs> and I start reading to you from the farmer's almanac telling you about what the weather is going to be and all the you know farming tips and things like that. It would be kind of weird, kind of out of place. For, for one, I'm not a farmer and everybody here knows it. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the first things everybody made sure that I knew is that I'm a city kid <laughs> coming to farm town, <laughs> right? And I've enjoyed getting to know some of these things that, you know, and quite honestly, when you talk to Darren or Doug about the farming practices and the science behind it, it's like, okay, you know, I'm hearing you, but I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. I'm sure I could if I devoted myself to it. And I remember another time talking to Wayne, we're outside one day and, you know, and he just has this confused look on his face. <laughs> and I start asking, what, what's going on, Wayne? He's like, I just don't understand why the wind is blowing from this direction. It never blows from this direction this time of year. And it's like only somebody in that industry would ever think like that. I hear, the, I feel the wind on my face and I'm like, oh, look, wind. <laughs> you know. But a farmer or somebody who's grown up in the farm area, knowing this industry, they're going to be able to see things like that. It would be kind of out of place for me to teach you about farming practice because I'm not a farmer, never have been. Haven't, I grew up in a small farming community, but that was years ago, and I was, my parents weren't farmers. We just lived there. <laughs> um, 
And Jesus, in a way, he stand, he gets in this boat. I mean, he's made. I mean, this is a kind of a big thing. I mean, how many how many times have these has this congregation been taught with somebody using a boat as a pulpit? It's kind of a interesting thing going on here. Um, they're expecting something fantastic, and then he just talks about farming. He doesn't preach this profound message from the prophets. He's not quoting Isaiah. I guess you could make a case for that. But he's not, he's not preaching, perhaps, the way they expected him to preach. He, just, he simply tells them this little story about this farmer who goes out and throws some seed. <laughs> and that's it. He concludes his message. And you kind of put yourself in this situation. It's kind of strange the way Jesus approaches these people. They've, he's never approached them like this before. His ministry has not been packed with parables before. This is really the first time that he t- talks to the people in parables. You know, and he, and he talks about a sower, okay? A sower goes out to sow. He sowed and some seeds fell along the path. Birds came and devoured them. Okay, so maybe they can see an illustration of how not to sow. Every farmer knows you don't throw seed, you don't try to plant in the middle of a packed down pathway. It's not going to produce anything. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. Sometimes you have no other choice around here, but generally it's not a good practice to sow seeds, to plant a garden on rocky ground that's full of, you know, shale and limestone and all sorts of things. Um, Where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that last statement is very important. That last statement is giving the people who are listening the idea that what he's talking about is a bit deeper than what is just on the surface level. I mean, that's really what a parable is. It's a surface-level story, a basic story about something that's meant to be taken at a spiritual level. It's supposed to stand for something. It's supposed to represent something. That's what a parable is. And he says, Here who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not giving a pun about corn and wheat and things. He is saying, Some of you are going to be able to understand this. And those of you who can understand this, well, understand it. Hear it. Act upon it. And then he leaves it at that. And he says, Then the disciples came and said to him, which I think it's kind of funny because he's in a boat. How did they come and say to him? I don't know how all that played out. That's not the important part. The disciples came and say to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Which I think is an interesting way of saying it. Why do you speak to them in parables? I mean, they're part of these people listening to Jesus' teaching. Um, and we can see in another passage, in there's a, he, this story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark records it in chapter four, <clears throat> in verse ten, it says when he was and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus says in verse 13, And said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you be able to understand all parables? 
So he just said that some people will have closed ears and they're not going to be able to understand it. And then he charges his, his disciples who are supposed to be able to understand these things. What, you don't understand this either? Well, then how in the world are you going to understand my other teachings? And Luke, he records it in chapter 8. I'll just read a few verses here. You can follow along if you want, but I'm just going to continue here. And he says, after he, after he had provided this parable, and when the disciples asked him what the parable meant, so the disciples came to Jesus asking him to explain the parable to him, to, to them, because they didn't understand it. And he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And then in verse 16, he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear for the one who, for to the one who has more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now, this all has to do with Christ's teachings. With the, par the immediate context here is the parables. You could apply this to other things, but right now he is talking about understanding his teachings. Now, the disciples were supposed to have been given the ability to understand these teachings. Now, there's a couple of different things that play a part in this. Jesus told his inner 12 um, that one day when Jesus is gone... He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to bring to the remembrance everything that he's been teaching them. So in that day, you know, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus said that the disciples just didn't follow, right? But when the Spirit, he promised them, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will remember, and you will see, and you will, you will be able to teach and expound upon. And when you read the works of the apostles, when you read through Peter and John and the other, the other apostles, you, you see them resounding, reverberating teachings of Jesus that you can read in the Gospels. They don't generally just make up stuff. They expound upon things that Jesus taught. And you can see that when they're teaching, and you, you can remember the passage about Jesus telling them, you will have the Spirit, and He will help you remember everything that I've taught. He's going to open your eyes to all these things that I'm teaching you because it's been given to you so that you can take it and you can go and bear much fruit. See, the scriptures were not given to us to simply know and listen to and to come to church every now and then and hear a good message and feel good about it. The word was given so that we may hear and go bear much fruit. A person who hears but does not bear fruit is like the person. I mean, he's telling us a parable here. And he actually, this is the only parable that Jesus actually goes and explains to the disciples. And in a way, this, this is because I think he's giving them a key. You know, when you have a map, you don't know what's necessarily on the map until you look at the key. Then you know how to determine what the map means. Now, Jesus is giving them an example. This is the only parable he explains. He explains it to them so that they can get a taste. This is the first parable he's taught. He's telling them what it means so that they can then see, okay, this is how Jesus is going to be working when he tells parables. And we can learn. 
um, concept. We can learn how to read the scriptures and understand. Okay, but we also must give credit to the Spirit who is given, so that He can bring to remembrance the things that the Lord has spoken. Okay. Um, And I want to talk here for a second about the word coming to light. Like, there's a lot of hard things in the scriptures. Raise your hand if you understand everything that's in the Bible. (laughs) Put my hand down. None of us can really grasp all the angles of every different passage and understand all the different ways of interpreting and None of us can do that. We don't have the capacity. I mean, David testified of the scriptures that they're eternal. They're infinite and eternal. They're much bigger than us. They're broader and deeper than us. Not, no one person can come to the scriptures and, and get every single thing that's here. Okay? It was never meant to be that way. We were meant, well, one, we were meant to help each other to bring to the table the things that we see and have learned so that others can learn from us and then other people bring what they have seen and learned so we can learn from them. We're all supposed to aid each other. We're never supposed to be an island. We're not supposed to treat our our Bible study like we're monks and we just go into our our chambers and we read by ourselves and and let that be enough. That's not how it's meant to be. We're supposed to help each other. Uh, But that's not the point. The point here... I want to, I want to re- recall for us what Luke said in Luke 18. He says right after this parable, right after he explains the parable, okay, so we'll get to the explanation in a minute, but after he explains the parable to the, to the disciples, immediately he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus wants us to see the light. He wants us to see what has been revealed in the scriptures. The word is not given to us just to make us consternated, confused. That's not what God wants. Jesus, when Jesus speaks, it is so that his people can understand and go and bear fruit. That's why the word is here. So that we who are his, we who have eyes to see and ears that, who, to hear, we can understand it. We can reflect on it. We can resonate with it. We can repent. We can go and bear fruit. We can go out with a zeal for righteousness, knowing what it is the Lord wants from us. Jesus is telling, you know, I'm going to speak in parables, but it's not because I just want everybody to be confused. This is one reason I'm explaining it to you. Jesus is telling, Jesus essentially is telling his disciples, I'm explaining it to you because I don't want everybody to just be in the dark. When I say something, it's because I want you to understand it and, and know it so that you can go and bear fruit with it. Because no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar. When I speak the words that I speak, I don't want it to remain hidden. It would completely abolish the whole purpose for speaking it. Just like when you put a candle, you light a candle. We just bought a candle yesterday. We lit that candle, and we put it on a counter. Counter. Now, we didn't buy it for the light, necessarily. We bought it for the scent. But in this day, it would resonate far more with them because a candle was not used for necessarily scenting up a house as much as it was that was their light source. When you light a candle, it is so that you can have some light and see the room. Now, if you were to light a candle and hide it under a jar... It would completely defeat the purpose for which you lit the candle. Jesus is saying, when I speak to you, 
It is not so that I can just say words and everybody stands in awe and wonder about my depth and nobody can understand me. That's not what he's doing it for. He's doing it so that we can understand and go and bear fruit. He says in verse 17, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. So it's going to be made manifest. If there's something that's confusing in the scripture, there is a place and a time at least where it will be made manifest. There's even a passage in Daniel that says, you know what, Daniel was trying to interpret a prophecy and the angel of the Lord comes to him and explains some of it. But he also says to Daniel, you know what, there will be a day when when this will all be revealed. But that day is not today. Not all prophecy is supposed to be revealed all at once. There will be a day, he told Daniel. Daniel was an interpreter of dreams and prophecies. But he didn't understand everything. God gave him a gift to do it, but he still didn't understand it all. There are some things in Scripture that maybe we're not supposed to know now, but we will know in the future. Maybe another generation of, the, of Christians will understand what exactly is going on in Revelation. <laughs> well, today we just have theories. But maybe one day things will come to light in a different way, and it'll become clear. Now, I'm not here to revamp how we think about prophecy, but I am saying... That even the confusing things in the scripture, they're not there just so that we can debate with each other. They're there to be made manifest so that we can understand them and bear fruit. That's what it's for. That's what Jesus explains here in Luke chapter 8. The truth will come to light. And those whom the Spirit has given, I, the, you know, that, you know, I don't know if this is too metaphysically spiritual or whatever, but that third eye, you know, to see things that other people don't see. Well, the disciples had that. They were given that at least when the Spirit came upon them. They had the ability to see things that not everybody was able to see. And you and I can share that with these early disciples. Because we too have been given the Holy Spirit. To be able to see the teachings of Scripture. And see what He's trying to say. At least in part. At least for what we need to know that day. Have you ever been to the Scriptures one year, you read through a book, and man, that passage really pointed out something. And then a year later, you read that same passage, and man, you learned something completely different. I mean, that comes to the infinite nature of what the Scriptures are. There is an interpretation of a passage. You can't just make it mean whatever you want, but the Spirit can bring different things to light as He knows we need it. We don't all know everything at all times, but we can learn different things at different times. Okay? Now, Isaiah chapter 55, which I read earlier, and I just want to read two of the verses here. Where the prophet speaks in, in verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. That's kind of parabolic. Right? Rain and snow and bread and bearing fruit, giving seed, sowers. I mean, that sounds reflective of what we've been talking about. But in verse 11, he says, So shall my word be that goes out from my, my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's the power of God. That's not the power of the preacher. Okay? I'm not going to explain everything clearly to you. Some of you might already be bored at this point and, close, and your minds have been turned off. Some of us, maybe, maybe that's so, hopefully not, because there's still other things we need to look at here. But when the word of God goes forth, when the proclamation of our God 
goes forth. It is not just so that it will fall to the ground and die and produce nothing. It will produce what the Lord God has sent it to produce. That's a promise we have from God. It will succeed because God cannot fail. So when God says something, it will not fail. It will produce the fruit that he intends it to produce. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 8 covers another angle of this perspective. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 8 Let's back up in verse in verse uh, verse seven, Hebrews chapter six, verse seven it says, "For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be burned and cursed, and its end." is to be burned. When the rain from God, when the word of God goes out, it produces something. It doesn't produce nothing. Some people receive the same gospel and they repent and they turn to Christ. And then another person will receive the same gospel. You know, some of you grew up, maybe some some of you went to a Billy Graham crusade where there are thousands of people in this auditorium or whatever it is. Some of those people got saved, repented. Some of them are still going today. Some of those people in that auditorium became bitter, rejected it, went forth and bore thistles. They received the same message. The message was not different from ear to ear. Jesus, when you read John 3.16 to somebody, some people look at that and say, oh, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. But other people look at that and say, that's bogus. I can't believe that stuff. It's, and it comes back to this parable that we're talking about. It depends on what you're made of. Look back at Matthew chapter 13. Starting in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he who has, an, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And that end part is talking about people who longed for the Messiah, but they did not live to see his coming. So here you could just kind of reiterate some of the things we've been talking about. But let's dive into verse 18 here. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. So that's like there are people, and have you ever met somebody and shared the gospel with them where it's just clear that it's all going over their head? 
There's no understanding. They're saying stuff that makes it clear that they're complete, on a completely different conversation level. They don't understand even the basic tenets of the gospel. There are some people like that. Um, and he's saying, that's, I mean, that, that's the first illustration. The sower went out to sow. He sowed. Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. It never actually sunk in. It never actually got into them because they couldn't even understand it. It couldn't pass the mind and then go into the heart. It couldn't even be received by the mind. And that's a person who is not saved. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Okay, so you all, we've already been established. It's a person who understands it, and man, it delights them. What? I can have forgiveness of my sins? I can be free from hell? Woo! Who doesn't want that? And they receive it with joy. In verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution come, arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So that's kind of the person who, man, they got excited about the message of forgiveness and, and, and uh, reconciliation with God and being made righteous and things like that. They understood it and they liked what they were hearing, but it never actually took hold in them. You know, it, it kind of went a little, they carried along with them for a little while, but then life starts happening, <laughs> right? Stuff starts happening to them, tribulation, persecution, maybe their family starts to reject them because of what they have learned and received in the gospel. Things just get hard. And he, even though he appreciated and really received it with happiness, he's going to abandon it because of hardship. And in these in these these middle two examples, it 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 causes me to remember. I can't remember. I think I mentioned it before, but there was a, a reformer or revivalist who was asked after a great reaping of souls, "How do you know if they're saved or not? You know, because you've preached the message to all these different people, and they've all professed the same thing." Do you, can you know that they're saved? And he said, well, time will tell. Because Jesus is telling us in a parable, there are some who are going to receive it with joy. I mean, revivals are kind of... Have you ever been part of a, a tent meeting or revival services? I mean, they can be exciting times. And You know, camp. I grew up going to teen camp all the time. And you guys have had a camp here. And it's a time where things are exciting, things are positive, we're... We're out of our comfort zones. We're in this. We're immersed in this this Christ culture, and it can be exciting. And everybody's getting saved, and people are talking about Jesus. And it can be easy to just be like, "Yeah, I'll go along with that. I like that." But then camp is over, and two weeks later, they're back to, you know, their disbelief, their sins, their everything else that they thought that they had repented of. Now, whatever, back to life. Everything returns back to normal. It did not abide. In verse 22, and as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So this is a person who perhaps lives their whole life long saying, yeah, I believe the gospel. I believe that God is a forgiver, a merciful God. And perhaps they grow in their knowledge of what the scriptures say. 
But their life never actually bears any fruit because they're just tied up with their money and with their job and with their work and they have no desire to, to devote themselves, their, their lives, to the things of God because they're carried away by the cares of the world, the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of riches. You know, what he's talking about is the pride of life. Okay, uh, Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The pride of life is, I live for my kingdom here that I've established through my works, through the jobs, the money I've made, the properties that I govern, the fields I've sown, the uh, you know all you know the whatever it is that your life is made of, this is what I give my devotion to. Even though I'll tell you in a conversation, yeah, I'm saved. I'm a believer, but their, the fruit of their life cannot be traced back to the life of Jesus. Their life doesn't look like Jesus. Yeah, they're a good worker. They're a responsible worker. You listen to a lot of these country songs that are out. Yeah, the farmers are going to church, and then they go and they drink their beer, and then, you know, <laughs> that's not a real Christian. I mean, I'm not saying anything about alcohol right now. Okay, that's not the point of this. I'm talking about country music and all sorts of depravity that's wrapped up in some of those songs. Um, but here we see the type of person who receives the word, but it doesn't bear any fruit. Because even though he'll claim it, the fruit of their life doesn't prove it. And in 1 John we read, he's teaching us how to live like Christ. And then at the end of the book he says, this is how you can know that you have eternal life. Because your life actually looks like Christ's. Your heart looks like Christ's. Your love looks like Christ's. Your mercy looks like Christ's. Your forgiveness looks like Christ's. You love one another. You look like Jesus. That's one of the ways. I mean, that's one of the primary ways that we can look at a life and say that's actually a true believer that is bearing fruit. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who abides in me will bear much fruit. Anybody who does not bear much fruit is cut off and cast into the fire. Jesus said that. We cannot deny the fact that of when a person receives the gospel, it means nothing until it's proven through the fruitfulness of the gospel. Being, I mean, you love the imagery of the gospel being a seed that is planted in somebody. A seed that is planted in... Like, if we were to go and plant a, bulb in the, a tulip bulb in the ground... And the time comes when tulips should be shooting up, it doesn't, we can assume that that bulb was dead and worthless. Even though it looks the same as the bulb next to it that did spring forth, we know that that bulb had life because of what came out of the ground. That other bulb didn't come out of the ground. It never sprouted. It never did anything. So we can assume that that bulb is dead. This is clear teaching throughout all Scripture. If you deny this, you're denying 1 John, you're denying James, you're denying half the teaching of Jesus, lots of Paul, because they all talk about it. <laughs> a Christian will bear fruit. There is no place for the Christian who says, I believe the gospel, but I'm just going to pay attention to my own stuff. I'm going to do what I want. Even, I mean, a lot of people aren't even living lascivious lives filled with rampant gross sins and obvious immorality. But what are they doing? They're doing what Jesus said they're doing. They're, 
they're just caring about the world, the deceitfulness of riches. They're just trying to make a life for themselves. They care nothing for the kingdom of God. They just care about their own little kingdom. That's a person that has not borne the fruits of righteousness and has become zealous for good works, which is a trait that the Spirit brings to life in us, if we're true. But then he goes on and gives an encouraging, he ends with an encouraging example. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit, and it yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. This is the only person that we can be clear that this is a true believer. Why? Because not only did they understand it and receive it, but it also produced something. It, also, it bore fruit. It transformed them. I mean, the Bible says that we are, when, we are, when we are a believer, we have the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. Our minds become renewed to be like Christ's. We start living like Christ lived. That's part of salvation. That's part of the whole package. If you don't have that part, then you didn't have the beginning. That's biblical. We must make it clear, and I say this all the time, we are not saved by our works. Our works are not what save us. Christ, faith in Christ, belief in the plan of God in Christ Jesus. That's what saves us. Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I will always believe that till the day I die. That is so clear in the scriptures, and it cannot be denied or altered. But we also cannot alter the parts of the scriptures that say, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You cannot alter that either. If the faith that you have is true and alive, then it will represent that seed that was planted in the ground that's bearing fruit. Because a, a live seed, an active seed, will grow. A dead seed will not. In Matthew, and I want to end with just an example here. In Matthew um, chapter 25, if you want to turn there with me and look at this parable, look at this parable. Another parable. That Jesus taught, called the parable of the talents popularly, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he, came, <clears throat> to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now let me point out in chapter 25, verse 1, he's talking about then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Okay, So this is one example of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. So we got a, a man who's going on a journey who has servants. And he gave them some of his pro He gave them charge over his property. Verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But when he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, and well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not know, where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he, who will, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I will cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you have two people who enter into the joy of their master. One person who enters into weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the difference? They both received something, the same, I mean, different quantities, but the same substance. They, both, they all received the same stuff. They received the same job. What makes the last one different than the first two? Well, the first two took it, and they produced. They took what they had been given, and they produced for the master, not for themselves. They benefited from it. When you notice at the end of this parable, he says... Take what, take what the wicked servant has and give it to the one who has ten. That first servant was partaker in the ten. He started out with five. He made another five for the master. Now the master is bringing him into the joy of what he had earned. Not only that, but he's getting more because of his faithfulness. Those first two were faithful they produced according to what had been given them. The last one, you've been given something to work with, okay? It's like this person who, is, who receives the gospel. You can work with that. The gospel is rich and filled with wonder and beauty. You can produce something with that. It can transform your life. After, after it saves your soul, that's the most important part. <laughs> I don't deny that at all. But the man, he took something that he could have worked with and he dug a hole in the ground and left it there. He had to give account to his master. But while he lived, he acted like he didn't have to give account to his master. I mean, what is he supposed to think when the master comes to him and says, show me what you've done? What's he supposed to think when he, he's digging this hole and he puts the money in the hole? Is he supposed to think that when the master returns, he's not going to have to give account for that? He started out as a fool, not thinking about the future of what's going to happen. You and I, we have to consider the fact that we will give account. That's a true statement in the scripture. That's why we must be before God with fear and trembling, working out our own salvation. Okay? A salvation that we've been given, we're to go and bear fruit with it. That's a job that God has given us. And if we are truly, if we have truly been saved and transformed by the gospel that he has given us, 
then we will go bear much fruit, just like Jesus said. Jesus said, if you don't abide in me and bear much fruit, you'll be cast into the fire. Jesus is telling in this parable with an example of a man who was given something that he could have worked with, but he didn't, so he was cast into the fire. Okay? What are we supposed to think about that? That this person was saved and lost their salvation? Or that there's a, that maybe there actually is a purgatory? He's got to go pay his debt for a little while? Is that what we should think about this passage? No. What we should say about this passage is the person who receives a gospel and doesn't do anything with it has not really received the gospel. Has not been saved by the gospel. Transformed by the gospel. We must take the warnings of Christ and take them seriously. I'm not trying to rebuke anybody here, but I'm trying to give you what the, I'm, I'm giving you what the scriptures say, what Jesus said from his very own mouth. But I also want to point out, people, we must give we must remember that we will give account. But we also remember in this parable, different people had different measures of things that were given to them. And I mentioned this, it was either last week or the week before. I can't remember quite off the top of my head. Some of us think that it, because I can't do the great deeds of so-and-so, I must not be worth anything. So I'm just going to sit back and mind my own business. Because I don't have the great abilities that I see in other people. So I'm just going to sit back. I'll enjoy the grace that's been given to me, but I'm not, I'm not going to... I don't have anything to do. I can't do anything. That's not true. To say that means is to say that God hasn't given you anything. God has given you the gospel. God has given you the truth of the word. God has given you great and precious promises. You can work with those things. You can do something. Just like everybody, everybody starts small. Now I was reading the I was reading an excerpt from the journal of I think it was a uh, George Whitfield. Started he was a great evangelist who started revivals and I was reading some of his journal and in his journal for the for most of the page he had line after line after line of churches that he had visited and preached at got kicked out got asked not to return got kicked out got asked not to return you know all these churches he's preaching at they don't like what he has to say they're kicking him out they're kicking him out they're kicking him out they're kicking him out they're telling him we don't want to hear you again we don't want to hear you again we don't agree with what you're saying we don't want to hear that he was little in the people's eyes but guess what he was instrumental in the great awakening <laughs> he started little but he pursued he persisted he took what he did have he had confidence in the word of god and he took that and he ran with it and he kept running with it. And eventually people grabbed it, accepted it, and thousands of people got saved. Because he had something little that he started with. Actually, he had nothing at all except for the word of God. Nobody accepted what he was doing. But yet he kept going because his confidence was in God and what God was doing and what God was going to do. His confidence wasn't in what people thought of him. So he kept going. You may not be the same person that you see in that other person that you're thinking of. That powerful person, that wealthy person, that talented person that has everything going for him. 
You may not be that person, but you are you, and you've been given something. Not every one of us is supposed to start in a great awakening. Okay? But some of you have been given something that you can do something with. It's a simple example. When you go out camping and you want to start a fire, you start with a little match or you know a little flint. Makes a little spark, tiny little thing. And you know it's so tiny, but yet you use it anyway, right? And when you use it, you make a bigger fire that's actually useful. You're, nobody's going to warm a hot dog with a match or a flint. <laughs> nobody's going to be warmed at, in a cold night by those things. But you take them anyway. Why? Because you know what you can produce with it. Not that you want to do this, but you can then take that campfire and start a forest fire. <laughs> Smokey Bear warns us against that. We don't want to do that, but you can. You can take that little thing and make something even bigger. That keeps spreading on its own. You don't even have to keep pushing the spread. It just takes it makes it a life of its own. You start you I mean even nature itself tells us that you start with something little and you get something big. The gospel is 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 talked about like a little mustard seed. But what? It produces something big that the birds even will nest in. The gospel itself approaches us like something small and insignificant, foolish even. But yet then it produces fruit with beyond measure. You and I must take heart from the Word of God. But don't give up just because you don't think you have much you can do. Some of you don't have that problem, and praise the Lord for that. Go and bear fruit. But for those of you who are sitting here who feel like, I'm, I'm done, I'm past my prime, I don't have a whole lot for me to do anymore. That's not true. That's not true. You've been given something. Bear fruit with it. In all things, we remember that the fruitfulness comes from God. He provides the increase. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. The Lord gives us the will and the ability to perform His good pleasure. Don't forget any of these things. All this is wrapped up in the gospel. But take what you've been given and go bear fruit. Lord, help us to take the words of Christ, to take them seriously. For we will give account one day for that which we do and don't do. Jesus will come to our aid and we, th we look forward to him standing next to us, advocating for us. Lord, as we live, let us live like him, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name, amen.